This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. Hello, Hi. I'm Tess Sarfis, forever bookseller at Barnes & Noble. Today we are joined by the lovely Hannah Witten. Hannah is the author of the highly acclaimed and best-selling For the Wolf. A former speculative fiction pick here at BNN and For the Throne, the eagerly awaited sequel and conclusion to the Wilder Wood duology. So welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm so excited. I think I first fell in love um, with For the Wolf uh, the first time I saw the cover. And I know, I know you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. I know this, <laughs> um, but it is stunning. Yeah, it like immediately draws you in and then it gets even better because then you get into the book um, <laughs> and you sort of waste no time like captivating your readers. Um, we're sort of immediately thrown into this intense and intimate moment where Red is essentially preparing for her sacrifice. So like, yay. As you do, yeah. <laughs> As you do. I'm not really surprised that Wolf uh, became quite a darling on sort of the bookstagram, book talk scene. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of fire and passion uh, fandom over there. Obviously, this is your debut. So what, on top of being a debut um, and then all of everything else, what what has that experience been like for you? Sort of, you know, this fandom, I mean, I, I can't, like the fan art alone is just like... Wild. Yeah. Um, is <laughs> the very eloquent way that I can describe it. It was completely unexpected. Yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, hopes that your book is going to like find a home with people and really... Uh, find the people that it connects to but it happened and it happened really fast and I was not expecting it and it's just been kind of a whirlwind to be taken on the journey of like people tagging me and just really cool stuff my favorite thing I think that people have made is candles like there have been so many like Wilderwood candles um and people are usually like really nice and will like send me a DM and be like can I send you one of these I'm like absolutely you can (laughs) add it to the collection (laughs) seriously I have a collection and I always like save the jars because then I like put plants in them so I have like it's nice to hear someone who actually who saves the jars and then actually does something with them because I am I am often the person who's like I'm gonna save this jar and I'm gonna do something with it and then it sits in my cabinet for like I will say that like (laughs) because they're like for my book is really the only reason that I have made sure that I do because I am that same person that I'm like oh this is a cool jar I'm gonna save it like not even candles just jars of anything I don't know what I'm gonna do with it but I feel like I should keep it Yes. Like at, at one point, maybe I'll just bring them all out and just have a collection of jars because that seems to be where I, I have done that. <laughs> I'm just going to have many surfaces of my home that are just like fancy jars with fancy no jars. <laughs> so, I mean, that's amazing. I love that. Like, again, I just the fan art, the people rallying around this book. I love that. I love this community of intensely passionate book lovers. It's so welcoming and just refreshing you know I mean social media obviously has its like ups and downs but this has just been like it's just wonderful I think it's such a safe space I think it's such a wonderful place for people to discover writers and books and stories and yeah and then basically express their fandom by sending you candles that I can't think of anything better (laughs) getting now into um so retellings Uh, obviously retellings reimaginings around everything so fairy tales mythology or folklore like uh, it's like it's it's anyone's game right now like it's like whatever you want to do um but it's it's obviously having a very fantastic moment and it's kind of 
lovely to see these sort of like familiar stories take on a new life. Like, I love that. I love, there's always like characters or parts of the story you kind of, when you're reading them originally, you know, you wish could go a different way. And then it's like, oh, it can. Like, you can do whatever, you, right? The Wildwood series obviously nods to, you know, Little Red Riding Hood. We've got like Being Beast in there, Snow White. It's so obviously has this magic all its own that you've yeah. that you've created <laughs> in this this universe, this world. What is it about these stories? So these these fairy tales, these folklores, they like linger in that subconscious. Like I can't remember what I had. You, you know, most people can't remember what they had for breakfast, but they yeah. could remember every fairy tale or like you know ask them you know about like every. Why are we so drawn to these to these these tales? I think that a lot of it is because many times, you know, the folklore of the culture that you're in is kind of the first stories that you hear. So it just like sticks in your brain and really plants itself in there as like a core story memory. I think that's a big part of it. And another aspect is that they're so archetypal. Like if you break fairy tales kind of down into their composite parts there's a lot of similarities, even like across cultures, which I think is really, really cool. Cinderella in particular, there's like so many different Cinderella stories, like from all corners of the world. So obviously there's something that is very like human about these archetypes because we keep coming back to them and retelling them in different ways. So I I think that they're just kind of things that people reach for very instinctually. Um, whether or not you're like setting out to be like, I am going to retell this fairy tale or remix this folk tale or something like that. Even when you're writing something original, that's not intended to be something like that. You still kind of reach for those tropes and archetypes to help you make sense of the idea. That's interesting that you were saying, talking about tropes, because I feel like tropes are such a bit, just, it's something that we're talking about. It's, you know, and so much it's like enemy slover. And it's like, where did these, obviously these tropes came from somewhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, These tropes that we love so much, they are, everything has its sort of like origin story. Uh, I imagine a lot of us sort of come to these, like you were saying, come to these, these fairy tales, these folklores, obviously, if it, you know, term, different folklores, if it's like a cultural thing, you know, those mm. are the, sort of the first stories that we're hearing. For others, I think it's, um, we sort of often enough come to them, you know, these sort of sugar-coated, watered-down Disney <laughs> adaptations. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, yeah, fortunately, unfortunately, obviously there's like good, good thing, good and bad. Yeah. I um, mean, like classic Disney fairy tales are the bedrock of a lot of people's first experiences with story. Like that's, that's how it, it is. That's <laughs> exactly. It's like for yeah. better or worse or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, then obviously you grow and you discover new things and you kind of, you know, it, it, I think it's, it's always fun. Like when you hear, like, I think for me, like the first talking about Cinderella, the first time I read like, like the actual Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And you know it's very it's blood <laughs> like, and, it's and you're kind of like what like what is <laughs> happening here? As we obviously get older, we learn new things. We have a lot of awakenings. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I kind of very much enjoyed uh, how Red is sort of raised to believe this one this one story, and mm-hmm. obviously she is at the center of it, you know, in a, in a way, sort of without question. Like it's just, this is this is what we're doing. I mean, not without question. I guess she does question. You know, I mean her and like, but. Yeah. <laughs> But she does question. She like but... questions to the point and then it's like, does it matter? Not really. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess it's like, there's questions, but it's sort of like, well, this is, this is how it is. You know, like, yeah. and this is everyone around me, like that we're all pushing towards one direction and, uh-huh. and this is where we're going with this only to discover that there's always more to the truth. And I think yeah. that's a, a life lesson <laughs> that we all kind of stumble upon it at some point. What was your inspiration to sort of take the story in that direction, to have it be this sort of discovery this awakening in a way and yeah. and then have that sort of lead into everything else 
So uh, it was kind of mirroring my own experiences of that kind of awakening moment where, um, you know, start to question the stories and the values that you were raised with. Mm -hmm. And and even kind of having that um, hopeless moment that Red has where she's like, well, does it matter if it's not true? Because I still have to like live within this framework. So that was definitely an inspiration. The reason that I wanted to kind of mess with Little Red Riding Hood in particular is because it is such a morality tale. It's the original telling of like not straying from the path, um, very much about like lust and bodily autonomy and um, things that I wanted to mess with (laughs) and twist, kind of twist around on its axis and see how I could take something like that and make it say the opposite. In the way that Wolf itself is kind of lumping a bunch of different fairy tales together, stripping them down to parts and then putting those parts back together in different ways. I wanted the true story of Red's world that she's learning while she's in the Wilderwood to kind of be the same thing where Uh all the parts are there, but they're just put together in very different ways than she was taught. It's an understandable thing where you're like playing a game of telephone. (laughs) It's just so much context is getting lost along the way. I love fantasy. It's it's probably (laughs) like if... I hate to say, like, you hate to pick a favorite, but I'm going to pick a favorite, like, genre, like, that you yeah. kind of gravitate <laughs> your towards. It's, like, my safe space. What I love so much about it, and and, and I'm sure, and, you know, even w- within these books, is that you sort of, you can weave this beautiful tapestry, and, you, and it's, like, everything, you, you know, ancient magic, historical references, folklore, you know, let's throw in some political intrigue, let's have some, the- uh, you know, theological tensions in here. <laughs> um, like, you talk, let's go on bo- Yeah, like, bodily autonomy like we can discuss like sort of these heady these topics mm-hmm. in this space and um, I love to hear like different opinions of this because like I always say what is it about fantasy that sort of offers this like perfect canvas to explore these stories into what you were saying like that you want to take you know, these very real issues and kind of be able to lay them out in a way that maybe is easy for people to, I don't know if it's easier for you know everyone for you to absorb I mean, obviously in this book also deals this, there's some like survivor's guilt. There's, you know, this, this PTSD. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's these things that, you know, obviously topics we need to talk about topics we just need to share and, and be open with, but then, yeah. So what is it again, I'm getting off topic, but what is this, what is it about fantasy? And then, you know, that, that allows us to sort of play in a way. I, I think that, the draw for fantasy in particular with those things is being able to make stuff that is very heady, literal. The forest as a metaphor in folklore in general is like a place of transformation. Like the person who goes in is not the person who goes out. And so I just made it literal. (laughs) Let's use that to like, you go in and you literally can't come back out and kind of use that to talk about personal transformation and like societal transformation and, why context gets like lost and communication breaks down whenever you have these barriers in place. So yeah, you can just take all of these things that like in the real world, whenever you're trying to like talk to someone about mm-hmm. them or discuss them, you get very in your head very quickly. Yes. Be like, But if you're like, okay, think about it like the woods, then it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it just makes everything. Yeah. I, I think I love that. I love, you know, when you're reading a book, and you're so, you're so entranced, obviously, like, you know, there's a character and, you know, um, maybe there's a romance and there's a mystery and like, yes, like yeah. those are, you know, very alluring. And then all of a sudden, you know, you can't help but like see all the, the undercurrents, you yeah. know, in terms of even 
like her whole, this whole sacrifice, this whole, like not questioning, like just going, yeah. you know, going forward. And it does, it makes you kind of, you know, all of a sudden you sort of translate everything to like, oh, well, this is kind of, kind of like where we're at now with this. Yeah. So kind of like we're living with this. And when you give people the option to kind of live inside the head of a different character and it kind of, you can kind of like sneak up on somebody. <laughs> Yes. Because, you know, if you, if you're doing your job and you make it a character that they can see themselves in and they can empathize with, and then you kind of throw these things at them and then it it just changes the way that people think about something. I love it. I love it. And that's, yeah. And I mean, I'm not that you can't do this within other genres. I just personally feel like within the fantasy fantasy space, it's just, it's fun. I think speculative fiction just as a whole Mm-hmm. itself to that because you have like you aren't kind of constrained by real world rules yes real yes. world rules say that five times yes <laughs> <laughs> um and I love that and I, I you know I've heard like a lot of writers even say like they it's you know so they can they can create and it's again you're in, in your world building so it's like you you have the opportunity to sort of create a space where certain things exist or certain things don't exist and then it's like go you know like how and how <laughs> these characters sort of live within these confines. Um, so love it, love it, love it. I know that many, I'm going to just like lump us all together. If any like millennial Gen Z writers sort of got, um, get their like first taste of writing or get their like start, um, in fan fiction. Yep. (laughs) Yep. And so, um, which I love, and that was right there with you. Like, it's just, and I love that. I love that fan fiction, you know, I, I think back to like when I was in high school where it was like, you know, like the secret sort of thing that you didn't yeah. really talk about and you like maybe wrote about it on your live journal, but never shared it. or like, and there's like a small, you know, whatever. Yeah. And now it's just, it's, I mean, it launches, think about how many, how many, you know, books have yeah. been launched, launched yeah. fiction and authors <laughs> have gone their side. So I, I'm going to ask you, and I kind of already know the answer to this one because, you know, <laughs> I, I just enjoy it, but, um, <laughs> <on the> internet. <laughs> I, I want you to talk about it. So is there, is there any fan fiction that we should know about anything floating in the universe anywhere that you, anything you, you want to, you want to talk about right now? I have absolutely written fan fiction. I'm not <laughs> going to like tell anybody what it is. I feel like if you have uh, spent any time on any of my unfortunate social media outlets, you uh, know, <laughs> But um, yes, I went on, I wrote some last year, actually. It's very much like, and this is kind of getting into process, but uh, follow with me. If writing is a muscle, then I try to like keep it going even whenever I'm on a break. So like if I'm I'm, like waiting for edits or I'm getting a pause from drafting or something, whenever I have a break, like I try to actually take a break for a couple of weeks, but then I'll kind of like (laughs) itch to write something. And like off-season training. Fiction like, is there for me. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Cross training. Yes. So I um will like just write a little one shot and throw it up on my very secret AO3 account and just <laughs> not talk about it anywhere. It's just like, like it's find the people it's meant to buy. <laughs> if you really want to go to the dark corner, yeah. <laughs> like if you're putting in the right search buttons. <laughs> So I still write it. I still read it. Um, the very first book that I ever attempted uh, whenever I was like 12 was essentially Lord of the Rings fan fiction. But it was before I like knew what fan fiction was. Yes. So 
I like just changed the names around and was like, yes, this is good. And <laughs> clearly like I, I insert, it was a self insert also. Cause what else am I going to write whenever I'm 12 years old? And, um, so I was in the fellowship of the ring. I was an elf who was obviously in a love triangle with Legolas and Aragorn. Of course. So, I mean, <laughs> and I'm honestly sad that like I wrote it on my parents' old dinosaur desktop that has long since gone to the grave. And sometimes I'm like, I wish I could find that and read it again. But then most of the time I'm glad that it's lost to posterity. <laughs> <laughs> um I I too, like Lord of the Rings, I think was my first. Or I mean it was like the Hobbit, you know, and then like yeah. you get a little bit older and then you sort of read Lord of the Rings. And and for me, like I I I enjoyed The Hobbit. I'm not getting me wrong, but then like Lord of the Rings was like, like it just I sort of like Lord of the Rings before I read The Hobbit actually, because like I didn't read it as a kid. I didn't really know about it until the movies came out because my my parents were not big like fantasy or sci fi people. Mm-hmm. Like they read like nonfiction and historical fiction. <laughs> so, but the movies came out and I just hyperfixated very quickly, <laughs> and so I read all of the books. I read The Silmarillion. I read like Children of Huron whenever it came out, but yeah. it was my entire personality for a good few years. I'm like, I have an Elvish tattoo on my legs. Like it's a lifestyle. It's a, it is. <laughs> and I, I can't like when I, it's funny, whenever I hear anyone talk about how like Lord of the Rings, like the, that was like their entry to fan fiction or their entry to fantasy. It's just, it was for like, especially when those, you know, if you hadn't read the yeah. books, even, and then, you know, and then the movies came out and it just, it was, it was like, obsession it was just lockers <laughs> like just pictures of like yeah just everything and I remember like yeah, just being completely in it and I remember um my lovely friends made me like a, fa- a Lord of the Rings fan fiction birthday cake and I and they went oh. to Carvel with like fan art and I can only imagine that poor employee was like what like, is okay this? <laughs> like, <is> this? sure <laughs> sure I'm um, getting paid enough for this Yes. And yeah. And I remember, you know, just, just, um, literally taking like from the, from the movie, like the telecast, like the, like script and like in taking out names and inserting like my name in there. Like, just like, you're like, I'm going to put me in this story. And it was just, um, it was so wonderful. And I love it. And I love that that was the first OC. Like, yes, (laughs) I love that. It's such a, um, pinnacle entry point into, into fantasy and into, um, I think it's all, just like this idea of being in world. I think, you know, and I think that's something that when we, uh, you know, we read these books, we're, we're so entrenched in them. And sometimes it's hard to, um, you know, you're kind of going about your daily life. And like, I feel like you're looking at these people like, you don't even know. Do you even know? Do you know what's happening? Like, how are you just walking around? Like, how I am are having you, a full crisis and you don't I'm even having, know. Yes, I'm having a crisis. I'm reading this book and I'm having a crisis. Do you know what's going on? You know, and obviously everyone is is oblivious, um, you know, in in your mind. Um, But, and you want to be so in world and this is just another way to sort of be in in world. Um, And I love that it's sort of, it's taking, it's sort of like taking off now and socially acceptable, not bitter at all that it wasn't (laughs) 15 years ago, whatever. Um, But, you know, lovely to see it. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for still writing fan, fan fiction and thank you for admitting admitting your or talking about your your earliest ventures into it. My most um, embarrassing fan fiction venture uh, I will share is that some friends and I in like middle school I had a notebook that we would pass around and we would take turns writing Daughters of the Moon 
Yes. It was that book series. And they were, they were small. They were only like this big, but there was like 20 of them. Yes. And so we all created our own Daughters of the Moon OCs and would write in this notebook and pass it around. I love that. I love did that. get found like by someone not in our fan fiction group. And that was the end of that because that- we were very embarrassed. <laughs> But <laughs> and that was the end and, and that was the why. end of that and that's why it's like that's why you put it on the internet <laughs> <laughs> love it um all right so speaking of again like thinking of like fan fiction um you're writing I- I've heard you speak that uh you know talking about of, of, of dreams and hopes and putting you know putting out those little manifestations into the yeah. universe um <laughs> I think that this would be a wonderful adaptation for the screen. I'm just gonna, I, I'm just gonna put that out there. You know, just again, let's just like plant those seeds. Let's put out those good vibes. Um, just put them all out there. So, um, and I feel like I've, and I feel like I've seen this conversation like on your socials, and I just think it's so funny when I see your, you and your and your fans interact, and they kind of put their their opinions out there. So, but I'm gonna ask you now. So, your dream cast, or like everyone always loves to talk about, like the dream yes. cast. Yes. So I, I have options in my dream cast because <laughs> I, I think about this a lot and I'm like, I, I want to like, di- like have different strata, you know, like I, I, this is something that I think about a lot. So yeah, <laughs> like putting, putting the feelers out in the universe there, but for that, the only person that I have ever like looked at and been like that is red is Florence Pugh. <laughs> She is just, I mean, obviously right now she is just amazing and doing such incredible work. Did we afford her? Who knows? Probably not, but she's she's great. She would be amazing. Um, Eamon, Eamon's hard because I feel like that is kind of the casting that like whether it would work or not hinges on. Yes. So, So I have options. Okay. So first option would be Ben Barnes. Ooh. He, he's got the look. He does. He's got it going on. Um, Adam Driver would be great, but yeah. uh, again, probably can't afford him. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, okay, this is supposed to be like, dream cat. Okay, keep this your is dreams, but like, I keep. <laughs> I know. Like, let's not let's not bring reality dreams. into this. Don't bring reality into this. Um, also, uh, my my like third option, that I'm like he would be a good Amon is Oliver Jackson Cohen from The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, okay. Was, um, the younger brother Luke. Yeah, and so we've got some. So we've got options. We've got, we've got options. options. We have, That's listen, it's listen, good to have options. Universe, we have options. We have options. <laughs> <laughs> um, Neve, I have always pictured Adelaide Kane from Rain. When oh, she yeah. Was okay. Person Rain, which is like the most ridiculous show, but I did love it very much. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of drama. It makes a lot little of drama. to no sense, but I had a great time. Yeah. John Boyega would be a great Rafe. I, I I picture um, and now I'm blanking on his name, but the guy that was Ichabod Crane in that Sleepy Hollow TV show. Oh, when the Cold Bahari, Tom Tom Nyson. Yes, I was gonna. I'm like, it's Tom I, I think I'm saying that right. I might be saying his last name incorrectly, but him specifically in that show with the hair, I'm like, yes. that's Tom here right there. <laughs> well, that's why it's kind of nice that he's you know he already has the aesthetic. Like, like listen, like, we just look. get that like a hairdresser again. You got it. <laughs> we need we need all of those parts okay i love it all right so i hope the universe i hope you're listening i hope you you heard all of that everyone light your candles light light your fan fiction (laughs) candles light your for the wolf candles and let's make it happen so (laughs) the fourth zone sort of um 
this is, so this is a duology? It is. Okay. Um, so then this sort of, so for the throne then concludes. Yeah. It okay. Because I guess I was, I, I, I like thought it was a duology and then, but then, you know, you're sort of hopeful. You're like, well, yeah, I'm spoken to uh, certainly movie. not opposed to returning to the world eventually. Ah, oh. so here, here's another thing that like push out into the universe. I know. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> yeah. obviously, so this is for the throne again. Stunning yes, cover. Yes. Um, so we're kind of concluding the Wilderwood duology, so now duology, and then we now we get to follow um, Neve, and yeah. which is just really exciting because you know it's just again like you're you're in like you're back in the world, but it's you know now it's just a new a new story, a new a new character. Um, well, not new, but like a new you know someone a, a different a different yeah. path. Um, so. Is uh, I guess that my question was: Is this the last we're, we're going to see of of the Wilderwood of Wilderwood? Officially, but, yes. <laughs> officially, <laughs> yes. like, but unofficially, <laughs> maybe. Um, so yeah, so that was my question. But also, what was the sort of the hardest part about? I know, like sometimes when you know, you like it's like the first book is is you know you get this thought, you get this spark, and you yeah. like run with it, and then it's you know you come back into this world, and all of a sudden, it it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot harder because now you have expectations. Now yeah. you, you know, you have all this fandom. You have everything sort of swirling along with the story. So, did you sort of have? So, how was the process from here? Did you have this story already like flushed out when you were sort of writing? Like when you, it was one of those yeah. things where you know you were writing for the wolf, but you sort of already had it. You know, it was already mapped, so yeah. it wasn't as difficult to go back. Or when you when you started with this book, was it something where you were like, okay. <laughs> Now, now this is okay. <laughs> I both. So, trying to plan throne uh-huh. was difficult because I, I do try. I, I'm not like naturally a planner whenever I'm writing, but beca- with like deadlines and stuff like that, I do try to like have a roadmap in mind. Good, good. Um, and like brainstorm with like my agent and my editor to just before I like sit down and you know write 120,000 words, let's make sure that everybody thinks this works. <laughs> kind of thing. Like just good. that just seems prudent for um for everyone. Um so that process was kind of hard. The ending, whenever I sat down to draft, changed. Okay. Because the original ending that I'd had. Um, kind of whenever I started getting back into the headspace of the characters, yeah, uh, that it, it didn't ring true and didn't seem like a just reward for um, what was going to happen. So uh, because the Wilderwood books in particular are very character focused, um, it, it was less about like figuring out what I wanted to happen and more about making sure that I was in the head of the characters correctly and um, kind of making sure each action had an equal and opposite reaction. <laughs> yeah. And Neve has always been my favorite character to write. Um, she was very difficult to write <laughs> in Wolf particularly. Um, but because she was hard to write and because I did have to spend kind of a lot of time revising her character in particular and really figuring out kind of what made her tick and why she did the things that she did. Um, by the time I got around to drafting Throne, I had a really good handle on her as a character. Um, and so like once I started drafting and like just kind of sat down and did the thing, um, it unspooled itself pretty easily. Nice. Yeah. 
So uh, yes and no. Yes and no. Parts of it were hard, um, but for the most part, it's it came easier to me than I expected it to, honestly. Because you always hear about like sequel syndrome and how second books are so, so yes. difficult. And so I was just ready to like have my ass kicked. <laughs> Whatever it ended up being like easier than I thought it was going to be. I was like, am I doing this right? Like, have oh. I done something extremely wrong and I'm just not <laughs> kidding. <laughs> like there's obvious, something is obviously wrong. Here. Uh, yeah, this is, like, this, this is, should not be this easy. But I think I've heard you, um, or I've either heard you or I've, I've read that you said that she, that Neb was sort of like, yeah, that she was your, or the character you connected with the most. Yeah. So then, yeah, I did that, that. I'm not, I'm not completely surprised to hear you say that. Cause then, you know, it is when you connect with the character, when you like, yeah, getting it back in their head or when you're yeah. already, if you're already there, then I imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're good. Yeah. Um, I, we, we got each other on a very deep level. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I got you, girl. We're going to yeah. be good. Um, and it is, it's wonderful. Um, so I don't think this is new news and I apologize if it is new news to anybody listening. And if it is, then you need to go on. Hannah sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, sorry, not sorry, because you need to be following, following Hannah. Um, so, um, you have something new on the horizon. I do. I yes. do. Yes. Um, yes. So the Foxglove King, which I yeah. kind of just like, like to say it. I feel like it feels very nice. I love like, it so much. It's like the easiest a title has ever come to me. <laughs> beautiful. So I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about this book or, or you know, what you can. Again, yeah. spoilers, whatever. Um, what can you tell us? I'm very interested now to hear about the title, how, how that came, but also yeah. just... What can you, is it, is it, are we, is it a series? Is it going to be a duology? What are we, what are we in for? What's, what's this journey? What's, yeah. what's happening? It's a trilogy. So, and it's going to be a chunky trilogy. <laughs> a, ch- a chunky trilogy. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> I'm editing the first one right now. And that's like, this is a chunk of a book. So the Fox Love King is a trilogy. The trilogy's name is the Nightshade Crown. And it's in a whole different world than Wilderwood. Um, it, it tends more toward like the epic fantasy, I think, than the Wilderwood books do. Um, but it's just, it's very like a sword and sorcery kind of thing, but you know, mm-hmm. with a little extra flair. So um, it is set in a country called Auverain in a city called Delaire that has catacombs underneath it. Um, and in the catacombs are buried the goddess of death. Um, because there was this thing 500 years ago called the God's Fall where she lost it and <laughs> tried to kill her husband, the God of life, and all the other elemental gods also died. So, um, and we don't know where the God of life is anymore. Like the church assumes he's still out there somewhere and have built this whole religion around the assumption that he's still out there somewhere, but nobody really knows. So that's like the background. Our main character is Lore. She is a poison runner. Because in Delaire, because of the buried goddess's body, the magic of death is just like leaking from the catacombs and into the city all the time. Love if that. You um like take poison, like poisonous flowers, particularly, or what's in vogue. Um, you might be able to use the power of death, like only those who have had who have like died and come back, like had like a near-death experience like that, can channel it. It's called mortem. 
can you tell that I haven't like had a chance to come up with like, here's my like elevator pitch for this. <laughs> I'm just like, let me lay all of this out for you. I, I'm fine with that. I am I'm working on the elevator. Pitch. Elevator pitches are great, but I, I also like, like the bits, like yes. all like well, the bits you're saying. I'm like, okay. So we're going to get all the bits. Yeah. So we've got, There's a lot happening. we've got this again, the, okay. the theological tensions like so okay. much theological tension like if you thought there was theological tension in Wilderwood like honey you got a big storm coming like we're we're doing the thing in this one okay so Laura's a poison runner she also secretly can channel mortem because secretly she was born in the catacombs so it's like twist <laughs> yeah and so she's like escaped and fallen in with this like poison runner gang who essentially like are they like provide poison to people because if you take the poison you it does give you like a little bit of a high but also if you are dosed correctly it can add years to your life because it essentially like pickles your organs <laughs> wow where That's it's like, interesting like it's not like a nice extra few years because like your veins start turning to stone and like you're it, it's like not pretty it's not a fun time but it is like extra years so people are into that so you have some people who just take it for the high. You have some people who are trying to be able to channel mortem because it's, you know, like the only magic left in the yeah. world. Um, and you have some people that want to extend their life, like both for good and bad reasons. Yeah. So Laura's a poison runner, but she can channel mortem and she gets caught because in like a drop gone wrong, she accidentally raises a horse back from the dead. As you do. As, as you know, as happens. it happens again. This is why I love Among Us has not accidentally raised some <laughs> livestock from the dead on accident. So she gets caught. She gets taken to the church and the king, fully expecting to get like sent to prison. But they're like, actually, we need you to work for us <sighs> because there is this encroaching empire that is getting ever closer, and there are these mysterious deaths that are kind of happening toward the edge of like where the empire and Auverain meet. And so they want her to raise those people back from the dead and essentially ask them what happened. So she gets stuck in the court of the Citadel with Gabriel, who is a monk or he's a Duke turned monk with one eye and tattooed <laughs> hands. Very important. Uh, <laughs> extremely important detail. Um, who his father like betrayed the duchy that they had to the Corinthian empire. And, but then they killed him. They're like, cool. Thanks for the land. Bye. They killed him. <laughs> they took out Gabe's eye whenever he was like 10. And so he had this near death experience and now he can also channel mortem. So essentially his only option was to join like the press mort, which is this group of monks that can channel mortem. And they're the only people who are allowed to do it but he's actually a Duke. And so the King is like, surprise, you have to stay here with her and be like her escort. And he's not pleased about it. Our other main character is Bastion, who is the King's son, who is someone that Laura is supposed to be keeping an eye on because they think that he's an informant. And he is oh. also a disaster, <laughs> actual, like just, just ruinous man. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is a menace. Love it. Um, and everyone um, is just having a bad time. Except me, I'm having a great time. <laughs> great time writing all these villainous, like ruinous Yes, characters. like no, no one is like 
neutral good. <laughs> like there's not, it is all on the chaotic side of the spectrum. I love it. We're um, all like, yeah, everything is, was so are we all like chaotic neutral or are we like chaotic? chaotic neutral? I think that Gabe, you could classify as like chaotic good. Okay. Or he might be more like true neutral. He's yeah. very like stoic. I like to wake up and like decide where I am that day. Like am I uh, chaotic? Am I like, <laughs> what day am I having today? Yeah. What would it's serve like people, the best? <laughs> yeah. Like some people, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like the equivalent of, I feel like, or I, I always say I'm like, it's like the, the sword and sorcery version of like, I choose violence today. It's like, I'm choosing, yes, exactly. be, <laughs> I'm choosing to be chaotic evil. <laughs> like the original idea, um, came around, uh, Oh, I hesitate to say this because then people will think it's sci-fi, but I got really mad at the rise of Skywalker and wanted Let's be um, honest here it's a safe space it's a safe space <laughs> so i kept thinking about and i guess like spoilers for the rise of skywalker if you haven't uh, seen it uh, no no at this point like, there's sometimes where i'm like recommend oh, it but if you haven't you're going to i got to thinking about how the idea like i wasn't opposed to the idea of ray palpatine if it had been like seated in earlier and had uh-huh. been like something that we kind of built toward and i was like okay well what would that like villain arc look like and so I uh, put it in a fancy court setting and I added a love triangle because I could and then I was like <laughs> poison flowers are cool what if I like used that in it somehow and the ones I decided that that's kind of like the magic system component that I wanted to use like all the titles just kind of came very quickly <laughs> like, it all just sort of fell into place yeah so like I, ha- I don't know if I'm allowed to like say the titles for the next two books but they follow like the same naming convention yeah that's amazing. Okay, so I love this. Um, I can't imagine anyone not loving this. And I love <laughs> I love that you didn't have an elevator pitch because this was so much better. Um, <laughs> Let me explain this to you in excruciating detail. No, no, that's I want all <laughs> of the excruciating details. That is just like, that's obviously, um, I'm here for it. So you're doing a lot. You're, you're you know, yeah. you're writing this book. You've got this book. You know, this is this is the new one. We've got, you know, Fox of King is coming. It's going to be a chunky trilogy, which is now my favorite phrase ever. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm going to ask this question. If do you have? I'm assuming you do because you you also talked about how you know flexing your writer muscles and you do a little fan fiction. So you know, in all your spare time, what are you reading? What are you reading right now? What or what? <laughs> Or, or, or I always say, with like, or what was the last thing you read that just was like, psh, like, blew the last mind. thing that I read was um, a historical romance, actually, <laughs> which I read a lot of. Also, I've been like watching Bridgerton for the first time because I am perpetually years behind media. That's okay. Just generally, it's okay. But then you're good because yes. you have two, you have two se- like right away. Then it's like you get two chunks. Exactly. So there I'm in the middle of season two right now and I'm obsessed. So because of that, I've been reading historical fiction, like hmm. just to, like scratch that itch. So I just finished um, The Hunter by Kerrigan Byrne and it was excellent. I really like Kerrigan Byrne because like they're historical romances, but they're extremely angsty. <laughs> so You've got almost like fantasy levels of angst, but within like a historical romance setting, which very into yeah. that. Um, <laughs> I like read that if I'm feeling angsty, and then I'll read Tessa Dare if I want to read historical romance, but really funny. So I'm just served all across the board. I've got I've got whatever I need. I'm also currently reading "Follow Me to Ground" by Sue Rainsford. Okay, which is 
interesting. It's really, it's very short. It's like less than 200 pages. And I really, it's, I bought it because of the cover. It has a really great cover. <laughs> Again, going back to the cover. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, sorry, not sorry. It's I bought just... it because of the cover and it's been on my shelf for forever. And I am really particular about like organizing my bookshelves. And so I have one stack that has room for another book, but it had to be a very small book, like in my, in my red stack. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to read this. Cause it's like the perfect size to put in this red stack. Oh, I'm very much enjoying it. It's really, um, creepy, which I wasn't, I wasn't anticipating how like creepy and uncomfortable it is, but I really like it. that. I love that. I it's, you know what? I feel like there's, there's books and you just need to be in like the right time or place. And like that, you know, like you said, exactly like scratching that itch. Like <laughs> I, I need, and I kind of always look at books like, um, like almost like food. So it's like you have your, you know, you, you should, you should really eat your vegetables and your healthy meals, but then it's okay to have a little chocolate. It's okay to have a little, I love a brain candy book. Yes. It's okay to have a little, a little snack. Um, and I will say that this series, (laughs) again, bam again, just going to come, come over here. Um, I feel like scratches lots of itches. And so (laughs) it's wonderful. Um, You've got, you know, there's there's romance, there's mystery. You've got again, I'm my 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 other theological tensions, um, political <laughs> intrigue, uh, all of it, the historical references, folklore, mythology, retellings. Uh, it's all here, um, and I just can't thank you enough for writing this. And I, I I hope that I I mean it again. No spoilers. It does. <laughs> it is a complete story. It is, it is wonderful as a duology, but if you ever have that itch to scratch and feel like coming back into the Wilderwood universe, I think all of us would be, would be happy to accept that. We'd be happy to accept that gift. I have thoughts and notions. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah, thank you so much. Thank you again. This has been wonderful. Uh, For the wolf, for the throne, are out now. Foxglove King is coming coming soon it has a cover i just can't show you all yet that's really good (laughs) i love it all right thank you so much thank you this was so fun board over is a barnes and noble production the show is available on apple spotify and stitcher please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts